Okay, friends, the story begins. Right. We are on the bottom of page 34. Continuing Pesuke de Zimra versus the praise. We were doing the last several chapters of Tehillim that are incorporated as part of the verses of praise. And now we're up to the second to last chapter of Tehillim. In other words, what we're about to, to study is a direct excerpt, as were all of these uh, chapters that we've been studying, direct excerpt from Tehillim, from the Book of Psalms. The title of today's lesson, what was it again? Joy, right? Joy equals, I don't know what I said, but joy and success very, very much go hand in hand. And you see it as the theme in this chapter. We're going to do something a little wacky. Let's read this chapter out of order. <laughs> um, if you go to the four lines from the bottom of the page, please. We're middle of the word, middle of the line, where it says the pious. Do you see that? Okay. The pious will exalt in glory. They will sing upon their beds. Which in the most literal sense, again, there's in Torah, there's various layers of meaning, but the most literal of sense is we'll be at a point where we could kind of just relax and praise God. This is kind of the prophecy, you know, just be in bed and, and take it easy type of thing. The exaltation of God is in their throat and a double-edged sword in their hand to bring retribution of nations, means the nations that were attacking us, punishment upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with iron, fetter, iron fetters, to execute upon them the prescribed judgment, it shall be a glory for all of his pious ones, praise the Lord. Okay. So the Talmud has a uh, different interpretation. The Talmud says, singing upon their beds. Well, what does that mean? When do we sing upon our bed? Sing not in the most literal sense, but that idea of praising God. Talmud says in the morning. So the Talmud says it's actually referring to the evening, the evening Shema. Hmm. And more specifically, the bedside Shema. The Talmud says anybody who recites the bedside Shema they have a double-edged sword with which they use to fight the internal enemy, the Yetzirah, the, the evil impulse. So let's let's read it again. Pious ones will exalt in glory. They will sing upon their beds. In other words, and what are you singing upon their beds? The exaltation of God is in their throat and a double-edged sword is in their hand. This is alluding to the Shema, and when we recite the Shema, we have a double-edged sword. We have ammo to fight our Yetzir Hara. We have ammo to fight our evil inclination. We have ammo to fight, by the way, our oppressors in, in the literal sense as well. Perhaps this is the solution to anti-Semitism, by the way. The solution to anti-Semitism is not so much trying to get people to like us, but it's getting ourselves to like us. <laughs> That's what the Shema is. Committing to God. And when we do that, even by our bed, even when we're tired, even at night, even when we're... I'm ready to shut down. I'm ready to close shop <laughs> for the day. And I'm still reciting the Shema with full commitment. 
That's what's going to get. That's my double edged sword. That's my ammo. That's what's going to uh, keep us clear of anti Semitism. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory used to say that the nations of the world respect Jews who respect themselves. This is our most liberal oppressors. It's true with our, our external oppressors. It's true with our internal oppressors as well. If we want to fight the Itzahara, the best way to fight is not is actually not combat, not head-on. You don't have to debate with an anti-Semite. You don't have to debate with your Yitzhahara either, by the way. It's usually a bad idea. It doesn't usually go well. You know why? The Yitzhahara is brilliant. <laughs> and he knows us well. Well, the, the thing with the Yitzhahara is it's tailor-made. It really is for each person. And they know exactly what we need to hear to get us to do what we got to do. There are a few exceptions, but usually being philosophical, the Yitzhahara doesn't doesn't usually help. Um, there is a story with the we with the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, going back a little over a century ago. Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, the Chafetz Chaim, he wrote a lot of different, uh, very important person in the in contemporary Jewish uh, thought and perspective, especially in Jewish law, his contribution. Anyways. He was a he was a he contributed a lot as as far as Jewish scholarship, but he wasn't actually a full time rabbi. Rabbinics was not his occupation. He had a business. He had a store. In his free time, he would study, and he was very studious. You know that the, those people that become scholars in five minutes, five minutes here, five minutes there, and it all adds up. Uh, actually, my so my wife Javi has a cousin. We saw him when we were in Montreal. Maybe he's listening to this. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so when you know people, you got to be good. No, I'm kidding. So um, this guy is 24 years old, just got married. At his wedding, he celebrated completing the entire Talmud. And he knows it well. He didn't just like skim through it. So we saw him and said, how, how did you do it, man? You're 24 years old. So he says, well, he's a dentist also. He finished medical school too. He's uh, he's a dentist. He says, in between patients, I have 10 minutes between each patient. And those 10 minutes added up. Patient canceled, now I have 45 minutes. He says, you literally can become a scholar. And, and, and... Why was I saying this? I'm going off all these tangents. Okay, so the, going back to the Chafetz Chaim, who had a story, he had a business. And... He would make however much money he needed for that day. Then he would close his close up shop, <laughs> and he would study Torah. So at, in his old age, he retired. He's at shul early in the morning, and somebody says, "By you're old. You're in your old age. You're retired. Why are you coming to shul so early? Go to the later minion. Relax. Take care of yourself." So he says, "You know what?" My Yetzirah told me that same thing this morning. <laughs> and I told him, um, you know what? You, you know, the Yetzirah woke up this morning. Yetzirah wanted me to sleep in. And he tells me that same argument. You're old. Relax. Re refresh yourself. So I said to the Yetzirah, you know what? You showed up to your job on time. <laughs> Why can't I show to mine on time? 
Okay, but generally philosoph philosophizing, say that six times fast, philosophizing with the Yetzirah doesn't usually work. The best way to do it is to build ourselves up. In Pirkei Avos, the ethical teachings of the Mishnah, there's an instruction, and a very important instruction, probably one of the most important instru instructions in Judaism, make for yourself a rabbi, appoint for yourself a rabbi, remove doubt. Right? Everybody has to have a rabbi. Every rabbi has to have a rabbi. Everybody needs a rabbi. If your rabbi doesn't have a rabbi, you might need a new rabbi. <laughs> Everybody has to have a rabbi. There's another interpretation. If you translate the words literally, which means make for yourself a rabbi. The word rav can also mean great. Make yourself great. If you want to succeed, you want to remove doubt, build yourself up. And that's what the Shema does. When we say the Shema, specifically the bedside Shema, we're building ourselves up. And we have now a double-edged sword. We don't need weaponry. Maybe we do, but the, but that's but that's not the focus. We need to build ourselves up internally. When we do, our oppressors can't get to us. When we do, our internal oppressor can't get to us. But it's got to be done with joy. It has to be done with simcha. Take a look. Um... So let's read now from the beginning of the prayer. Praise the Lord. You see it? Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. We'll, we'll soon see what it means, a new song. Recount his praise in the assembly of the pious. Israel will rejoice in its maker. The children of Zion will delight in their king. They'll praise his name with dancing. They will sing with him, to him, sorry, with the drum and the harp. For the Lord desires his people. He will adorn the humble with salvation. And then we go on to say that the pious will exalt him. They'll sing upon their beds. They'll sing with their throats, the double-edged sword, and the Shema, right? But the precursor to that, the prerequisite to that, dance, sing, joy. It's necessary. If we want to succeed... In defeating our oppressors, external and internal, we got to build ourselves up. That's the Shema. But if we want to do it right and effectively, we got to do it with Simcha. We got to do it with joy. Reflect back on chapter 26 of Tanya. Several years ago at this point, okay? Time flies. Ch chapter 26 is a beautiful chapter. If you're ever feel like you need motion, you're going through a hard time, go back to chapter 26. Chapter 26 asserts, the, the author of the Tanya there asserts, that joy is not just a luxury, but joy is a very important tool that everybody needs. You need that in your toolbox because joy equals motivation. When we lack joy, we lack motivation. Why is motivation necessary? Because you can't just win with strength and with tools. You can have the right weapons, but if you're not and the right tools and the right skills, but if you're not motivated, it ain't happening. 
So you have two people fighting. One is strong, one is weak. They're wrestling. The strong guy is only going to win if he's motivated to win, even if he's physically stronger. So you, we have the tools to fight the Yetzirah. We have the Shema. We have the Siddur. We have the Torah. We have everything we need. Everything is cut out for us. But if we don't have that joy, if we don't have that motivation, it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. So about a century and three quarters ago, there was a rabbi named Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Not to be confused with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, this was the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe that preceded him, but same name. He was speaking to a group of soldiers, of Cantonists. Cantonists were a group of Jewish Russian soldiers that were drafted to the army. They were drafted from a very young age, almost abducted, and didn't have a chance to ever experience Judaism. And pretty much the only thing they knew about Judaism was the fact that they were Jewish. And they had an opportunity for the Rebbe to speak to them. And they wanted it. They wanted this inspiration. They knew they were Jewish. One of them says to the Rebbe, we're very meticulous about polishing our uniform buttons. They have to be shiny. They get covered in dirt as we're in the fields training and combating. We got to polish our buttons so they're shiny. He says, we want you to polish our souls. Because of our upbringing, because of circumstances, we feel like we're covered in dirt. We feel like our souls are in shining. We need you to polish our souls up. Inspire us. He delivered then a Hasidic teaching known as a mimer. Afterward, he said, the way you polish buttons is with earth and with water. The way you polish your souls with spiritual earth, that represents the plain utterance of Tehillim. It's like earth because you don't even necessarily understand it, but just the utterance of it is sacred. And the water is the tears. One of them said, Rebbe, when we go out to fight, we're soldiers, we're Cantonists, when we go out to fight, we have a joyous march because that motivates them, keeps us going. The Rebbe said, you're right. Forget the tears, joy. And the tradition is that from that point on, the Chabad approach was to always be meticulous on using joy as motivation. Using joy to fire us up, keeping going, keep us, to keep us going. When I was working at Cedar Sinai Medical Center as a chaplain, I had a did I tell you this story already? I had a patient who was um this lady was recovering from something. She had a car accident. That she she didn't have a recent car accident when I was seeing her. She had a car accident like ten years prior. She was just telling me about it. It was a very bad car accident. She suffered memory loss, permanent memory loss from a short-term memory loss. Long-term memory is great, but she suffers short-term memory loss. And she was telling me how this car accident changed her life for the good in many ways. Obviously, her life is much more complicated now. But in many ways, it shifted her perspective on life. 
She said she was a very unpleasant person to be around prior to this accident. Very negative person, very negative person, a very cynical person. Um, she felt entitled all the time. Everybody owes her something. She was also physically not very healthy, which often physical health and emotional mental health tend to go hand in hand sometimes. She said she got into this car accident and she was just so thankful to be alive. She stopped taking life for granted, started being more appreciative, started being more happy and more joyous. She made this shift that she needs simple, she needs joy, and that led to motivation. She lost, she told me she lost 120 pounds with that mind shift. The joy impacted her mental state, impacted her physically. Joy leads to motivation. We want this Shema. We want to build ourselves up. We want ammo against our enemies. Our physical, our external oppressors, our internal Yetzirah. We got to have simple. We got to have joy. When are we ultimately going to experience this? Right now, we try to have joy. And joy, uh, in many ways, is a reaction to to an appreciation of a deeper reality than what the meets the eye, right? So when are we really going to see this? When Mashiach comes, where we're going to be exposed to the truth, and that's why I go back to the first line: "Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song." There's a there's a discussion among the commentaries what a new song means. According to the Alshech, Rabbi Moshe Alshech from Tzfat from the 1500s, he says the new song refers to God's name as it's written. God's name as it's written with the Yud and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey, we can't pronounce it. It was only pronounced in the Beit HaMikdash by the Kohen Gadol once on Yom Kippur. We're not able to pronounce it. That tradition has been lost intentionally because people were misusing it. We're gonna re we're gonna get that back, and with that comes revelation. With that comes spiritual experience, a like new spiritual experience relative to what we experience now. That's why um, the the Talmud says that God's name now is incomplete. The yud and the hey are on one side. The vav and the hey are on the other side. There's this lack of completion. There's this lack of spiritual uh, unity. But when Mashiach comes, there's going to be this. Let, let, let me put it this way. Right now, there's a gap between what we know to be true and what we feel to be true. Unless we really work on ourselves and we're at a moment of, of inspiration. But usually, we'll study a certain reality as we are now. But how do I feel uh, in, you know, in a future from now? <laughs> think about Yom Kippur. There's a certain reality you're trying to connect to, to appreciate. Or think about something you've studied that inspired you. So conceptually, yeah, it's real. This is the truth. But how do you feel about that later? Right? How long does it last? So there's a gap between our mind and our heart. 
there's a gap between that, that's not to say that we're being disingenuous. That's just to say that we're in exile and that's a product of exile. But when Mashiach comes, that gap is going to be filled. We're going to have this new song, this new excitement, this new joy. But we got to start rejoicing now before it happens. Don't wait for it to happen. Envision what that joy is going to be like and start now. I'll tell you one more story. I've told, I mentioned this story before, but I still I think it's related. The story is Rabbi Shalom Dover of Lubavitch, known as the fifth Rabbi of the Chabad uh, movement, had health complications. This is in 1906. He went to visit famous doctor professor in Vienna, otherwise known as Dr. Freud, Sigmund Freud. It's unclear what the complications were, but he went to he went to Freud at the time. Sigmund Freud was interviewing him. How does that make you feel? No, I'm kidding. Sigmund Freud was was interviewing him and was trying to figure out what his daily schedule is like. What what is his day like? And a big part of his day was devoted to Hasidic teaching, teaching Hasidic teaching, learning more Hasidic teachings, Hasidus. And uh, Freud was Jewish. He was not an observant Jew. And he says, what is this? What are you spending so much time on? He was just trying to understand. And Rabbi Shalom Dover felt that this was a perfect opportunity to share what he's all about, what he represents. The inspiration and warmth and soul of Judaism. But he's got to share it quickly because <laughs> he's asking him for a, he's not asking for an in-depth explanation. You know, he just wants to know what this is. So he's got to be very succinct, very clear, very much to the point. So he tells him that the the goal of Hasidic teaching is to unite the mind and the heart. The mind and the heart don't usually work hand in hand. What I know objectively to be right and what I feel emotionally to be good often conflict. So... I could know that something's good, but my heart might pull me the other way. We all know that Torah is good. We all know that God is good. We all know that God's mitzvahs and that lifestyle is wonderful. But the heart pu inevitably pushes us the other direction. Hasidic teaching empowers us to unite the two. So I'm passionate about what I know to be true. So that the mind rules the heart. How I feel is directed or guided by my perspective as opposed to my perspective just being shaped by how I feel. Freud said impossible. The mind and heart are two different worlds. And Freud believed very strongly 
that every person at their core is uh, self-serving, trying to fill their pleasures and emotions. How could you say that? How could they work together? How could the mind rule the heart? They're, they're two different worlds. They don't go together. And the, the, the Rebbe Rishab told him, this is how you, Hasidic teaching helps you bridge them. Helps you bridge that world. And if not, at least make some sort of communication between the two worlds. Telephone wire between the two worlds. That's when, when the telephones come out. One was um, Alexander Graham Bell. I think this was around the time telephones were coming in. Said, make a telephone connection between the two. There has to be communication. When Mashiach comes, they're going to work hand in hand. They're going to be totally together. Like we said earlier, I, pr I praise God with my soul and with my being, with my body and my soul, hand in hand. Mashiach comes, they're going to work together seamlessly. The heart and mind are going to work together seamlessly. It's going to be this new song that we're going to experience. But we got to start rejoicing now. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.